Welcome, beautiful humans, to Empowered Sobriety. I am your host, Lindsay Fauna. And I'm your other host, Abigail Gerber. We are both trauma-informed life coaches in hopes of empowering individuals to see beyond their addiction and recovery into compassion, love, acceptance, and freedom. Empowered Sobriety is a podcast for those considering sobriety, are newly sober, or already living a sober life and wanting to up-level their growth in sobriety. Each week, we'll be dropping episodes discussing topics such as childhood traumas, PTSD, sober dating, and sober sex, how to enjoy the social scene, and is AA the only path to sobriety, plus so much more, along with bringing on other sober coaches that have done deep transformational work like we have, we are also hoping to bring on anyone who feels called to be coached on air by us. Hello, Empowered Sobriety podcast community. This is Abby, and I don't have Lindsay next to me, which I'm super sad. So I'm riding sort of solo today. I do have a special guest, and his name is Shane Checkin. And Shane is a sobriety coach, which is our second sobriety coach on the podcast, which I'm super excited about. Shane is a sober coach who works with clients who are really interested in finding alternative ways to quit drinking. Really, it parallels a lot of my path. I didn't go through AA. I wasn't in rehab. I kind of carved my own way. And I'm really excited that Shane is here because he carved his own way. We wanted to bring you just an alternative view of getting sober. So Shane, thank you so much for being here. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for having me on here. This is an awesome experience. and I'm really appreciative of the opportunity to do this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm so sorry Lindsay isn't here. She had to take care of some business. So it's just you and me, man. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your backstory? What brought you to sobriety coaching? Well, there's a couple of things that brought me to it. The one thing, the main thing that what got me into sobriety in general was just when I was spiraling, you know, I tried so long for so many years to quit drinking on my own through the typical paths of AA, you know, meetings and things of that nature and trying to do things the the way that everybody said I should do it and the experts said I should do it and it just didn't work for me. I kept going back to drinking. I would get the mentality that I can handle one more drink. You know, I can have two drinks with dinner and then it always just spiraled back out of control. And one morning I had a, just, I don't know, it was an epiphany. It was, you know, I, I realized that I was on my last leg with everything. And I woke up in my brother's living room and obviously, you know, he was extremely pissed off, really unhappy with me. I didn't even remember what I did, and I, but I knew it was, it was bad. And, you know, I was looking at the text from my wife and she was leaving with the kids. And mm-hmm. I made the decision that morning, you know, I didn't know what else to do. So I said, I'm going in patient rehab. I'm just, I'm going in. And I went in and this is where the story started to turn from me taking the different approach. You know, I went into the inpatient rehab and they placed into a detox center portion of the rehab first. And the first thing that I did not like about that is I felt like they were pushing different medicines and drugs on us. They were just, I don't even know what they were because I refused them all. They were, you know, to get off of things. And I know that they are needed at times and there is points to them, but I was at the point where 
when I was drinking, substances were also coming into play. And I just did, I wanted to detox myself from all substance. I didn't do any of that. And I got towards the end of the detox and I asked to be transferred out into the general rehab portion of it sooner, which they did agree to. And I, it's supposed to be a 30 day program. And I was there for seven and I decided in my head that this just wasn't for me. I didn't need to be here 30 days. And, but I didn't want to, you know, go back to drinking. I wasn't on the mindset of this isn't for me that I don't need to quit drinking. I had the mindset of, I don't need this process that's for everybody else here. So I soaked up as much as I could. I learned from the people, from the counselors and listened to everybody's story that I possibly could. And I requested to be released early, but I didn't want to just get out of the program. I requested to go into their outpatient program, which thankfully they granted, but it came with some resentment from the counselors. And I remember one thing that stuck with me to this day is when I was leaving, one of my counselors made the comment to me. He said, I'll see you again shortly. And it just snapped me. It made me really mad. And I was like, no, you won't. You know, I used a couple of choice words in my own head and I'm like, you will not see me again. I ended up going into the outpatient program and I pretty much, I did that full steam. It was the, you know, the counselors really did it for me and the people in there that I was learning from. And I never, you know, I went to a couple of AA meetings, but AA necessarily wasn't for me. I didn't like the, I'm a Christian, but I'm not overly religious. So that wasn't necessarily my route. And I just, I decided to come up with something that would work for me, not for everybody, because I believe when you quit drinking, you have to have a tailored plan custom to what you do, because we all have different triggers and we all drink for different reasons. So one of the very important things in my program is my first step is to identify why we drink. It, it resonates deep with me because a lot of people drink for different reasons. Some people drink because of past traumas. Some people drink to drown things out. Some people drink to party, to have a good time, to let loose, to fit in. There's so many factors that I believe you have to really look at and dig in deep to who the person is, why they drink, what their triggers are, and not just because they want to drink. You have to really go deep in what triggers them. Then we can come up with a plan to start customizing it to tailor towards your triggers and your goals. So my story was kind of unique in the way that I did this on my own for a while. And I, I had a lot of failures is every, you know, everybody does, but I got to the point and I came up with something that really works. It's worked for people. It's worked for me. And I believe that you have to go all in, but we also have to tailor it to you individually. This can't be something that's kind of a cookie cutter plan. I believe that alcohol recovery has to be tailored to the individual. Thank you for that. So what was driving you to drink? Driving me to drink was when it first started before, I, I actually believe I had a physical dependence to alcohol at one point. You know, it's once I got towards the end of mine because I was going to the everyday drinking. Mine was the re relaxation feeling. I felt like when I drank, I kind of call myself a drowning drinker. You know, I went through all of my steps because to become an everyday drinker, I believe that you have to hit all the steps. You start with social and binge and then, drink. you know, you, you go through it all because I was drinking it every day. And, but my biggest trigger was the social aspects of it. I was always around people drinking. It wasn't necessarily a trauma. In my specific case, it was the socialization aspect. Whether it was a work event, whether I was out with friends, whether I was at the bar, I felt like I always had to drink because it gave me that loose edge and just let me feel better. And 
it drowned out all the doubts and the naysayers and the negatives. It just felt like I put myself on cloud nine until you come down from that drunk, of course, then you're back off of cloud nine. But that's really what my main trigger was, was the social partying aspect of it. That's how I got into drinking really heavy. And if you didn't drink in, in a social setting, what was that like for you? Uh, I, oh man, um, back then I don't know because I didn't do it very often. Uh, it was rough. I, uh, I tried, tried it and I would sneak away. I found myself like when I would say like, even, even with my friends, I would say that I wasn't going to drink and get drunk that night, or I was only going to have one beer and I'd find myself sneaking to the bar and doing a shot when nobody was looking, or, you know what I mean? Doing that kind of stuff. So it was really hard. And I, mm -hmm. I didn't know how to be out without it. I was lost. I was just like a lost puppy dog that didn't know what I was doing. I think that's really important for, because I feel, I felt the same way. I didn't know how to be me. I wasn't comfortable with being me. Sober Abby wasn't good enough. Yeah. Then I didn't think that that was it because, you know, back then I wasn't thinking that way, but now that I look at it, that's a very similar concept to the way I thought, because, you know, I look at it now and I go into places and I'm happy and I'm sober and I'm like, this is what I want. And this is what, you know, you realize the people that really mean something, that's what they want too. They don't want drunk shame. They don't want an idiot. They don't want to be walking in there rambling on about something or being the loud, funny guy at the party. They want, they want the shame that's me. It's not the shame that's on the substance. They want me. And it really takes a lot to grasp that. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. So what kind of personal development work have you done on yourself? Were there authors that you followed or books yeah, that you read? There was a lot of that. The one thing on just specific to sobriety, one of my journeys that I tell everybody that I learned from, and I honestly mean this in the fullest, I don't discount the counselors and the people that I worked with, but I learned from the other addicts and other alcoholics more than anything from anybody because I felt like I needed to be a sponge. So I would listen to all of their experiences and I would learn whether I wanted to grow and emulate what they did or whether I wanted to avoid that. I learned from others' mistakes and learned from others' successes. So that's kind of how I did. And then as far as other inspirations, I'm a big sports guy, so I'm really into sports. Tim Grover, he's an author. He's wrote the book, the book Winning and Relentless, The Unforgiving Race to Greatness. And it talks, a lot of the concepts that he has in there, he was, uh, background on him, he was Michael Jordan's personal life coach and trainer. And he, Kobe Bryant's, and he had great relationships with them, not just in basketball, but in life outside of basketball to their life ventures, to not going out and partying, staying away from the bars, things of that nature. He just helped them. And a lot of his strategies have applied to what I did. So I've really taken that into consideration and really try to lean on his expertise. So I really look up to him. And that's something that really inspired me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How do you think your drinking affected your family? Oh, uh, a lot. Um, it's my immediate family, my wife and my kids, extremely negative. I hate going back and talking about this. It's probably one of the hardest things for me to talk about is my relationship with my kids because mm -hmm. just the other night, and you know, this goes on to the fact that we talk about how just quitting drinking doesn't solve everything. Just the other night, you know, my son didn't want to, you know, we were going to bed and he wanted my, my wife. And I'm like, what's wrong? You know, why wasn't he want to be with me? And then my wife brought up and she wasn't being a jerk about it. But she brought up, you know, for the first three, four years of his life, you were absentee. 
you were you were drinking. You weren't there at night whenever he was going to bed and doing those things. So he formed that bond and that relationship with my wife. And it's coming back. Don't get me wrong. I don't want it to seem like it's never going to be there. It's my relationship with my son is better than it's ever been and mm-hmm. with my daughter. But there are still those lingering effects that we have to work on day to day that you cannot let go. And, you know, that that hurt me to hear that. But at the same time, I think you need to hear those things. Mm-hmm. You need to hear those hurt. You know, you, you have to have thick skin and you have to realize it. And that's part of facing it was, you know what? I did do that shit. Like I did. I was absentee. There's no denying it. So you have to work on that. That's one of the things that was one of the hardest things for me and is still is the hardest thing for me today is to realize that I did that to my family and to focus on really fixing that. And it's probably my number one priority when it comes to other than me staying sober, because I believe you have to keep you as your priority, but that's my number one priority elsewise is that relationship, because I believe it's the most important one in your life. It's my support system. And, and as far as extended family goes, I did the same damage, you know, my brothers, my my mom, my dad, everybody. I just, I would do things. I would ruin holiday events. I was confrontational when I was drinking. Yeah, there were some fun times we had when we sit and think and go back about the times you had drinking. Yeah, we had a lot of fun times. There's no denying that. But at the same time, man, I ruined a lot and I missed a lot. And I really, I don't want to say regret because I hate the words regret. I don't want to regret anything I've done in my life. But I really use it as something that I am not proud of and something that I want to learn and build off of. Yeah, thank you for being vulnerable in that. And how do you think that you've forgiven for people who have gone through that, for people who have fractured relationships with their children, with their family, you know, self-forgiveness is huge. How do you think that forgiveness has helped you? It's helped me a lot in ways that, you know, one of the things you have to do is admit, you have to admit to yourself where you were Mm -hmm. and where you want to be. And part of being able to get to where you want to be, like you said, is the forgiveness. You can't dwell on something forever. I believe wholeheartedly in forgiveness and inside I still am mad at myself. And that's one of the hardest things to do is totally forgive myself. Mm -hmm. But what I do is I reach in and I use that as my extra motivation, my drive to stay disciplined. It's not necessarily that I've forgiven myself because I I have, but I haven't. That's a touchy subject for me because I don't want to forget. Forgiving and forgetting are different. So like I do forgive myself and I'm not anger at myself because I'm so happy at where I've been and where I've came yeah. that I've, I've got the forgiveness part, but I never want to forget that because I never want to go back there. And I know some people try to forget and tune out those negatives, but I always remind myself of that because it just reminds me of where I don't want to be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when you are working with clients, take me through a typical coaching session. Yeah. The first thing I do is we'll have, you know, we have an introductory call and the first thing I want to do is dig deep into who they are. Like we talked about before, why you drink, because that is the root of everything. If we don't understand what caused, it's just like any other problem in life. If you don't understand what causes the problem, it's hard to fix the problem. Everybody can identify problems, but identifying the root cause of the problem and the drive of the problems, which you really need to identify to fix the problem. So the first thing I'll do before we even get into creating the plan or executing it is I want to go down and I want to spend that sitting to know everything. Why you drink. I want to hear some of your stories. I want to hear when you started drinking. I want to hear about your drinking, like nights out or you have blackout drinking, different things where you find them, where you mean. 
were bars your trigger? Was work events your trigger? There's so many different factors that I really want to take the time to study the individual deeply and get to know them and understand why they drink because it's a personal thing. And if you want to do this, you're going to have to be willing to get personal. And I need to understand you in general as a person and your roots to understand what we got to do to make a plan tailored for you. That's the first step that I will do. And then after that, I want to get into admitting, see, see where you're at with admitting where your problems are. Not just saying it's, it's more, it's more complex than, as you know, than just saying, Hey, I have a drinking problem and I want to fix it. You've got to be willing to reach down and you've got to be willing to change friends. You're going to have to be willing to change crowds. You're going to have to be willing to change lifestyles, to change diets. There's, you know, a lot of sacrifice that goes into it. But again, with anything good, there's going to be sacrifice in life. And then once we get this done, I, I like to implement, I like to develop a plan. We'll develop a plan tailored to you. I want to know your goals. I want to know where you want to be. If your total sobriety is your goal, if drinking, you know, I've had people that, and it's very rare and I don't push this, but I've had people say, hey, I don't want to drink liquor anymore. And we've worked towards that goal. I'll work with anybody custom, you know, what they want to do. I can encourage people certain ways, but the, the way it's got to go is the way the person wants it to go. They got to be the one that wants to do it. So, and then, you know, we'll create that tailored plan and then I'll help you implement it. I work with people daily. I get, you know, we text message. Um, if there's a trigger that you're questioning or something you don't know that you want to go to, call me. I tell my guys, you know, women, men, whoever it may be, call me. Let's talk. We'll figure it out. Maybe it is something you shouldn't do. Maybe it is something you can do. Maybe we can work on a plan. I've brought my wife in on some of my coaching sessions because as we've talked, the whole family is part of it. And the spouse or significant other, friend, family, whatever it may be, is you've done a lot of damage to them likely. And I did a lot of damage to my wife. And she has came in and helped talk to some of the other alcoholics that I'm working with on understanding what they've done to their spouses. And she's worked with their spouses. We've done group sessions. So I like to get really in depth. I like to get really in depth and customize a plan for that person and what their goals are. And we're going to get to that plan by providing the steps that are going to help your triggers, not somebody else's. They're going to work for you. Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. What are some of the insights that clients that have worked with you have gained from diving into their past and doing all the healing work? Well, the one thing is, uh, the one insight that I always try to really leap on people, whether I work with them or not, or even if they're just looking at some of my content or help me out is, I hate the stigma of quitting drinking. And I give you a little story right here. Um, when I was in the inpatient rehab, there was a gentleman, he was an older gentleman. I think he'd been sober around 30 years. He was speaking to the group. And it was my first day in the general area of the rehab after I got out of detox. And he asked how many people in there were embarrassed to see somebody they know or anybody know that they were in there. And, you know, my hand flew like I'm like me. I was terrified. I didn't want anybody to see me that I knew. I didn't want anybody to know I was in there. And he looked at me and he asked how often I was embarrassed when I was drunk, when I was, you know, puking or doing something, whatever I was doing. And I kind of thought about it and I was like, well, maybe for a second, but not often. And he's like, then why in the hell would you be embarrassed to do the right thing, to have somebody seeing you get help to do the right thing? And he just said bluntly, he said, if there's anybody that is going to give you shit for making you do this, for, for doing this, for getting right, he's like, they're not your friend and they're not going to be around you long if you're going to be successful at what you're doing. 
whether you cut them out or they cut themselves out. If they're doing this, as you're getting sober, they're going to get out of your life eventually. And that is 110% true. That statement that that guys talk, it really resonated with me. And I, I, I tell that story to every single person I work with because I hate the stigma, you know. I still have friends, you know, not long ago. I, I, I post some content on my pages where I refer to building a toolbox. I want to build a toolbox for every situation that we can get into. Whether I'm at a bar, whether where I'm at, I want to have a tool to get us, to prevent us from going back to where we were. And I had a, well, I call him a friend, but I don't know how much longer I'll call somebody a friend. And I don't think they're really a friend, to be honest. But I was golfing with an acquaintance not long ago, and they were making jokes like, oh, do I get a discount on my toolbox? Do I get this and that? You know, and kind of laughing about it. And I think that they were trying to get to me with it, but I've honestly adapted the mentality. Uh, I, I don't care. I have my goals and I have where I want to be. And I know that my life is better now. And I know that I'm surrounded with better people that I don't let that stuff bother me. But at the same time, I'm not going to allow myself to be around that kind of attitude and that kind of negativity. So I will distance myself from that. I will back it out because I don't believe in pushing that stigma of the negativity of it. I hate that. And I think that we need to turn this and look positive because everything I've done in my life since I quit drinking has been positive. There's nothing. I sit and go back and I look at what happened in my life when I was drinking. Yeah, there's some temporary gains and temporary positive things you had fun with. There is nothing overall positive that it did for my life. So why would I be embarrassed to better my life? And I just want people to get that and understand it. Because once you can really get that and embrace it, you can tune all that outside noise out and you can really streamline and focus. And I think mm -hmm. that that stigma is something that I really want to beat. I want to help everybody beat because I hate that. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. Especially early in sobriety or even before you get sober, you're really scared. You feel like you're going to lose everything, lose yes. your support system, lose your friends, lose, you know, fun. And what we don't see in those stages is it's not really they're not really a support system. You're not really having that much fun. You know, I mean, you are, but can you go to these sporting events or, you know, for me, like going on a hike and I always had like a six pack of beer, you know, in a cooler. And I was like really just hiking for that six pack of beer. <laughs> and early in sobriety, it's really scary to move away from that. Yeah. Totally identify with that. And you know, kind of back to my original question, what are some of the insights that they have seen working with you? I think majority of them, when they come to me, are mm -hmm. terrified, as I was. Yeah. And I, I get a lot of people that I talk to that are negative, they're down on themselves, because right now, you know, I do a lot of my stuff online. And I think mm -hmm. that a lot of the clients that I'm seeing are people who have done basically like I was. There's somebody that's went through every step of it, you know, tried the AA, tried the other things and it failed and are kind of at a last resort. And I think that when they see the success, you know, I, I don't, social media drives me insane. I'm not exactly, uh, I think it's got a lot of negatives, but I think it also has a lot of positives because, mm -hmm. but the thing you got to be careful about is you can, you see false positives on social media. You can put on a show really fast and really easy, but right. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you can, you can show falsely what's going on. So I, I'm careful with that, but I try to show that there's happiness there. There's success there. And I think that they're really getting that. 
I think the one of the big things that I bring to everybody is obviously my approach to quitting drinking, I value heavily, but my attitude to quitting drinking is I think what I like to pass on to them and what they get from me and they can carry it long term. The strategies can work and change, but your attitude has to be the right way. And I think when they come to me, they're seeing that their attitude is wrong, that their attitude is 100% negative on it. And I will work so hard and tirelessly to flip that attitude. I want them to gain the insight that, yeah, I can do this. Like, this isn't that bad. This is great. I can do this stuff. I don't need to be drunk to have fun. I want them to gain that insight. They can Mm -hmm. gain the insight that there is a great life to live outside of alcohol. And if I can get them to understand that, then we can work on executing the plan and doing things. The attitude is the insight that I really want them to gain from me because you can't have negativity. Negativity breeds into drinking a lot of times, especially if you're an alcoholic, you're going to get depressed and negativity. You got to stay positive. And that's one of the insights that I think that I really give to a lot of the people when they pick up from me is the, the attitude towards it. I embrace it. I don't run from it. I full steam. I was an alcoholic. I did this, I did that. And I, I go full steam at it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Lindsay and I, we offer a lot of different modalities in our coaching. Take for instance, inner child work, because there's always a little scared little person inside of us that had to go through a lot, had to see a lot. So we'll use a lot of inner child. Um, we do different sorts of modalities like parts work, such as internal family systems, masculine and feminine different dynamics, you know, what are some of the modalities that you use with your clients? The family dynamic is huge. Like you said, the different family dynamics. Um, I really like to look at that. Um, I like to use that because I think that has to do a lot with getting to know the person, which is very important to me. The strategy of when we're looking into the roots of why you drink, obviously lifestyle growing up and family dynamics is a huge part of that. For example, like, you know, I grew up in an environment where My parents were not extreme drinkers, but everybody else around me was. It was every event we went to, my uncles, aunts, everybody was extremely heavy drinkers. And it was just common. It was just normal. Everybody drank. So I like to really dig in in depth and looking at the family side of it. I believe that that is extremely important. And the one thing that I always want to find out first is, is there one certain trauma or incident that makes you drink? I believe that we need to treat that a little different than we do somebody like in my case that was just drinking for fun and to be the man that fit in the idiot yelling, blabbing. I I think that the trauma aspect of it, I'd like to go a little bit of a different route because I think you have to, like I said, tailor individually to different people. So I, I believe in the family aspect wholeheartedly and that's something that I really use and I'd like to dig into and find out what their traumas were, what they were caused by, and how we can deal with them, whether you're removed from them now, whether you're not, whether you still have to deal with them, how we cope with them, how you cope with the past, things of that nature. Okay. Yeah. So how long do you typically work with clients? That varies. I start usually if I go, I have a couple different ways that I do it. And some of the clients like to do more, some like to do less, but I firmly believe that at least I like to meet my first program. If you want to do one-on-one coaching with me, we meet up six times a month. We do once a week. And then I give two other meetings for whenever they want to meet, you know, whether it's Thursday, you're having a bad day, call me and say, Hey, let's get on a call or mm-hmm. whatever. It may That's be. great. So, yeah. Cause you got to have that outlet. It's not, you can't schedule when you get your cravings and, <laughs> and triggers. Right. right? It's not, <laughs> you don't know when that's going to happen. So I want to give people an outlet 
to reach out when they do happen. And I have a text messaging service that I give them to my direct line that they can text me. And, you know, and I tell everybody I'm reasonable and when I respond, I'm, I'm really good with responding, but there is times, you know, I'm, I'm coaching my son's game or I'm at work or something like that, that it takes me a minute, but I, I like to have the four full sessions, ones a week with two extras. I think that there's a minimum on that of three months. I think the 90 day mark is what I like to go to. And then I will start scaling back with people. If I feel they're ready, if they feel they're ready, if they want to scale back and, you know, cause this isn't all about money for me. So if somebody's willing to just pay me money and not do what I'm saying, I, I really don't want to work with them. I don't want to do that because to me, I'm wasting my time and your time. So I want you to be in my program for full time for at least three months mm-hmm. to get, because you can't accomplish much before that. And then after that, you know, some people have scaled back. They did away with the extra two. They went to four and I do, you know, the, the price scales back as well on these type of things. Cause like I said, it's not all about money for me. So I don't want to, I don't want to just do something for somebody because they're paying me. I want it to work. I want them to get the benefit. You know, I'm here to solve a problem and help them solve it. That's what I want to do. So, and some people have scaled back to, they went three months at the four meetings and then they've scaled back to two and then to one. I've worked with somebody for a friend of mine I've actually worked for. We've been working together upwards of a year and now we're not really even on a set schedule. We're just on a, we talk, you know what I mean? We don't even, and I don't even, he's not even technically a client of mine anymore. We just talk. So I I think a three month full-time minimum is something that I will not get involved in unless we're going to do that because unless you're going to commit to that, because I don't think that anything below that is has the odds of being successful. I really think that everybody needs to somewhat stay in the program for a year and even longer because we're fine. Or if I can help you, I think it's a case by case basis. I know I'm going a little bit around and around, but I've had somebody that is found almost like a sponsor. And, you know, we kind of did our thing. We went through it for four or five months. And they got on the track they needed to get on. And I even had a couple calls with the sponsor or whatever you want to call them and explained to them what we did, where we were at. And, you know, it was somebody that they were close with that lived near them. So they kind of went on that track and I still keep tabs. You know, I talk, talk to them and they're still sober. So that's, that's amazing. So whatever works, whatever is tailored to you and whatever works. And I, I like to think that I'm pretty good at reading where it reading people. I, I manage hundreds of people that our company and I, you know, read people through this and I was an alcoholic, so I know how to lie. You know what I mean? I know what we did and I can read people. So I could tell if they really want to commit to this or if they're trying to experiment because that's one of my big things is commitment. You have to commit to this. If you don't want to commit to me in this, yes. not, I don't want to work with you yet. You're not ready. I need you to be ready to work with me. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. I, especially through my health coaching, because I started my journey through health coaching and I really saw that because I I want the best for everybody and I want everybody to feel amazing like I do. (laughs) And not everyone is ready for that yet. Through health coaching, I had to really learn to not pick and choose because that's not, that's not right, but I could tell if people really wanted to change, mm-hmm. you know, we all have the best of intentions and there's so many programs where I didn't follow through on things, Me you too. know, so I'm not, I'm not singling anyone out. I was right there too. Before I got sober, I was in the gray area drinking 
because I still wanted to drink, but I wasn't really ready to make the full leap. And so, yeah, I definitely was, wasn't ready to commit to anything for a long time. <laughs> no, and that's typical. I think that's pretty typical. I mean, I was the same way. There was no way that I was committing to this until, like I said, I don't know where that moment came from. Everybody always asks me that, like, what moment made you do this? I was like, I don't know. I cannot answer that question to this day. I just decided, like, why or what did it? But it was at that moment. And the best answer I could come up with is I knew that it was my do or die situation time. It was either, and like I told you, you've heard me say this, I value my children and my wife more than anything in this mm -hmm. world. I think that's more or less what did it for me. I think is I knew it was either I fix this or my relationship with them is going to be gone because yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to have that. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that was my you know motivation to get there was that. that yeah, was, that was still today. This to this day it is. That's that's why I keep thinking of them and keep talking of them. And even what I'm doing now, the, the sober coaching and like us talking, I benefit from this. And I'm no shame in saying this. I benefit from my sober coaching just as much as anybody else does that I work with because it grounds me. Mm -hmm. I'm learning from them. I'm learning from you talking to me right now. Your stories. I'm soaking them in. And I'm thinking all right, maybe I can use the information that you've passed on to me to help somebody else that I'm going to be working with. Or maybe I could use something from a former client as an example of something I'm going to work with somebody to keep them from going down that road or making that mistake. Mm -hmm. So I think it's ever-changing, and I think that it benefits both sides because I use it as my as a tool for sobriety for me at most and to the fullest. I have no, no shame in admitting that either because you have to keep working. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. I learned so much from my clients and I learned because there are things that I, I can't see everything about myself. You know, I, I still have blind spots and some clients will bring up something that I haven't worked through and I'll mm -hmm. be able to see it. And I'm like, oh, whoa, I'm really uncomfortable all of a sudden in the session, you know, and then I ground myself and be like, okay, let me go work with my coach after this. Let's get support my client as much as possible. And really how I, how I get through that is I just get curious with them and I just ask questions. I stop giving advice. I just ask questions and I help them get into their body and be like, okay, well, what does this feel like in your body? And then we'll go into more somatic work. And then after the session, I'll just be like, whoa, okay. What in that session was triggering for me? And then I'll go work with a coach and figure it out. And it's like, oh, okay, this reminds me of something in the past. I'm grateful for it because it's a wonderful opportunity for me to work through something. So, yeah, totally, totally agree with that. One last question that we ask everybody is, what are the gifts of your trauma? Like, what, what, are, what have you – we all go through things, right? And these things build us. Everything that you've been through in your life, what are the gifts of that? The gifts of everything that I've been through, I would say right now, it is my confidence and my ability to believe in myself and see that I can accomplish things. If you look outside of just the drinking world, first off, I never thought, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, I would have never thought that I'd be totally sober right now. It wouldn't even have crossed my mind. Yeah. The one thing that I like to really tell is outside of drinking, the relationships and what you can do once you quit drinking, what, can, what it can allow you to do. 
since I've quit drinking, I own three different businesses. Now I started with either partners or on my own and I've just extreme. And I, I don't mean to like toot my own, but I've crushed it at work. My day job since I've quit drinking and yeah. I've been able to open up three side businesses. So the success that I've been able to have with the confidence that I have to go do it before it would just be me talking about it. It would be like, oh yeah, if I quit drinking or I have the ability to go do this, I could do this, do this and do that. Now it's like, I do it. I don't, I, I, I'm a doer. I'm not a talker anymore. I'm a doer. When people are at the bar on Friday night at 11 o'clock, I'm sitting at my computer working or doing something else. So my ability to have the confidence to do the things without the care of what anybody else thinks, the stigma, just tune that all out and do what I want to do and do what I know is right is something that I did not have before. I would always worry about what everybody else thought, what the perception was going to be. Now I do what I know is right. And I really take pride in that. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. And how can people get a hold of you? How can they work with you? You can check out any of my social medias. I'm on all of them. Uh, Shane Checking. You'll see if you need Shane Checking Mindset. Also, www.shanechecking.com. My website, there's some videos. There's a lot of information on there. Mm -hmm. I tell everybody, even if you're not looking for somebody direct, check it out. Just watch something that I've been through. Look at some of the things I have on there and you, you could maybe help yourself out through that. And I also do video courses too. I have a video course application to where some people are not comfortable talking about this one-on-one -on -one and they need to start by just doing it on their own and then maybe get into more. So there's a lot of options there. So just go you know, to shanechecking.com. If you want to check the website out, feel free to take a look at it. I hope that it helps somebody and anybody that ever has questions or anything, I'm always available. Always. Great. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Shane, for being part of this community. We really appreciate you coming on today. No, thank you guys. I really appreciate the opportunity. And I was glad that we got to talk because I really enjoy talking to you guys. It's been really cool. It's been eye opening and I like talking to other people that have been through the journey and I like to learn from other people. So I really, really value it and I do appreciate it. Of course. Yeah. And thank you to our community for tuning in today. We really appreciate you and we will see you next week. See ya. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening to Empowered Sobriety. We are nothing without our community. If you'd like to be coached by us on air or have any questions, email us at empoweredsobrietypodcast at gmail.com or you can find us on Instagram at Empowered Sobriety Podcast.